was well aware that if a man would share the life of Christ, he must share the risks of Christ. That if a man wished to live with Christ, he must be ready to die with Christ. Paul knew and accepted the inexorable law of the Christian life. No cross, no crown. Tribulation and triumph go hand in hand. We read now 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 to 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us in an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's a real privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, as you've heard, my name's Chris, and it's my um, joy to uh, lead the Ministry of Open Doors here in Ireland. Um, although, as you can tell, I'm not originally from these parts, but more on that later. Well, over the past couple of years, we've all experienced a measure of isolation, restriction, and lockdown that 
many of us have never experienced before. We've met as scattered believers, doing church at home, online. When we gathered, we wore masks and maybe worshipped in whispers. And we've been through our own trials and tribulations. I don't know what the last couple of years has been like for you, uh, but for me, it's been really tough. Not being able to meet with friends, not being able to visit my family or see my dad as he went into a home for the last few years of his life before he passed away last week. The last few years have been really tough, haven't they? But what if isolation and restriction were permanent? What if lockdown was even more severe and breaking the rules to attend church could see you get more than just a fine? but could put you in prison or even see you killed. Well, welcome to the persecuted church. These are people who are part of the body of Christ, just like us. They share our faith, but not our freedom. We're going to watch a video on the screen now, which tells you about the countries on the world watch list, the top 10 countries where it's most dangerous to follow Jesus. Watch the screen. There are countries where Christians live in fear, where churches are bombed and houses burned, where following Jesus means sacrificing jobs, security, family. There are countries where you must keep your faith secret or it might get you killed. These are the countries of the Open Doors World Watch List. And here are the 10 countries where following Jesus costs the most. Number 10. India. Many extremists claim that to be Indian is to be Hindu. They want an India without religious minorities, and they are using violence to achieve it. Number 9. Iran. Iranian Christians must meet secretly. Being discovered could mean long sentences in appalling prisons. Number 8. Pakistan. Christians in Pakistan are considered second-class citizens. Innocent believers are falsely accused of blasphemy. Thousands of women are victims of kidnap and forced conversion. Number 7. Nigeria Nigeria is the country where Christians face the most outright violence. Many Christians have been killed or driven from their homes. Number 6. Eritrea more than 1,000 Christians are imprisoned for their faith in Eritrea. Some pastors have been locked up for over a decade without charge. Number 5. Yemen Yemeni culture is tribal. Those who leave the tribal faith could be banished or even killed. Number 4. Libya In this lawless land, Libyan Christians have to keep their faith secret or risk punishment, arrest, or death. Number three, Somalia. Islamist extremists consider Somali Christians high-value targets, so the tiny population of only a few hundred secret believers keep out of sight. Number two, North Korea. There are around 400,000 Christians in North Korea. All of them must hide their faith. Discovery means exile, execution, or being worked to death in horrific labor camps. Number one, 
Afghanistan. The Taliban takeover means that Afghanistan is the new number one, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Many Christians have become refugees. Those who remain must keep their faith utterly secret. There are countries where Christians live in fear, but fear can lead to courage and courage leads to hope. At least 360 million Christians around the world experience high levels of persecution and discrimination, but they have not given up. And for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with them. Where Christians are persecuted, our global underground networks supply smuggled Bibles and Christian books, spiritual care, emergency food and aid, training and legal advice. Where Christians are free, we work with local churches to raise our voices in prayer, to speak truth to those in power, to strengthen our persecuted family around the world. Because there are countries where Christians have to stay silent, and there are countries where Christians can make a noise. But we are all connected. We are all family. And together, we can help one another to follow Jesus, no matter the cost. Po from Vietnam, which is number 19 on the world watch list. Remembers the first time he told his parents, I am a believer of God. Six words that would change his life forever. Immediately, Poe's father gathered the family together and the villagers joined to force Poe to renounce his faith. And wanting to please his father and fearing for his life, Poe obeyed. But in his heart, he knew he still loved Jesus. A year later, after separating from his parents in an attempt to lead his own family, Poe took the bold step of sharing his faith again. He even told his parents he was now part of a church and was regularly attending worship gatherings with his wife and her family. Almost immediately, the same scene was repeated. Poe's father gathered, gathered the relatives, and this time the village chief joined to, renounce, to ask Poe to renounce his faith. And from 8 p.m. to 3 a.m., they taunted, mocked, and pressured him. But this time... Poe stood firm. I knew in my heart I would not renounce my faith again, he says. Finally, some seven hours later, the village leader gave Poe three days to make his decision. Poe and his wife May knew it was a choice that would change their lives. They would be banned from the village, abandoned by the people they grew up with, including family and friends. During those 72 hours, Poe and May prayed asking God to show them what to do and to protect them in the aftermath. When the three days were up, they knew their answer. Poe stood his ground. But this time, his father came at him again with a different tact. Instead of renounce or die, the family patriarch demanded that his son pay him 10 million dong, the equivalent of 434 pounds. Poe didn't have the money. I told him, I will still follow Christ. The attacks intensified. One incident involved the police from surrounding communities. As his father called Poe again, he attacked him and the uncle joined in and the police officers stood by and watched. Still, Poe didn't bend. I won't give up. I've come this far. 
I don't want to go back. I will continue to believe in Christ. Poe's story is one of at least 360 million around the world today. 360 followers of Jesus who choose to keep following him no matter the cost. Every year we produce that world watch list and you've seen the top 10 countries on the video. Here's the uh, world watch list map. Um, it's uh, it's, it's an, a map that highlights the most dangerous countries and quite simply there's never been a more dangerous time to follow Jesus. On this map you'll see there are colours red and orange. For the first time last year all 50 countries on the list were in the top categories of persecution. And we look at that map and it looks like, uh, it looks dark, it looks difficult, it looks dangerous. That following Jesus is grim and hard and, and, and tough. Because quite simply, uh, persecution has reached pandemic proportions. And it can look like bad news. Um, as I said, my, uh, my wife and I, uh, well I'm not from here, but my wife and I met just outside London where I was working for a church. But we now live in Balamone. Um, but when we met, I was incredibly romantic. I took Lindsay for a, a lovely meal, no expense spared. And afterwards, we went for a drive and took the car to a, um, a, a spot just next to Epsom Downs Racecourse, which was close to where we lived. And it's a beautiful vantage point across the city of London. And it was a lovely, mild, clear night. We took a walk um, on the hills there, and we could see right out across the city of London. All the sights were lit up. A big Ben, the Wembley Arch, London Eye, and it was beautiful and romantic. Um, but the one thing we couldn't enjoy on that beautiful, clear night was the night sky. Because as you probably experience when you're close to a large city, you get this light pollution that, that kind of bleeds into the night sky. But now, as I said, I live in Balamone, and I've had to get used to the smell of slurry which is a new experience, and uh, I've had to um, deal with the fact that when I've just cleaned my car, I go out on the roads and the tractors have already been there first, and it's dirty again. But the one thing I can enjoy, when I go out on a clear night and I look up at the stars as the dog does her business, I look up and I see the glory of that, uh, those heavenly lights. Because the reality is, and this will come up on the screen, the darker it is, the easier it is to see the light. Say that again, the darker it is, the easier it is to see the light. We can look at the darkness that's going on in our world and maybe in a, even in our own lives and we can find there that the light can shine brighter because it's in that darkness that the light of Christ is revealed. And that's something that our persecuted family and that, that map, this world watch list tells us. It can look like bad news. And in our reading today, we hear from the Apostle Paul writing to a bunch of Christians that were living in relative darkness. It was a tough and a difficult place to be a follower of Jesus in those early years. And he's writing to give them reasons for hope, to encourage them, to point them towards the light, to tell them to keep going. So this morning, I want to give us some reasons for hope in our own walk with Jesus. So the question for us to think about is, how did they persevere? How did they keep going? And the Apostle Paul is writing to stimulate that kind of hope and strength in them. So here's our first reason for hope. It might not sound too hopeful, but hear me out. In the passage in verses 8 to 9, we, it's, uh, we get this picture 
almost this image conjured up for us of a boxing match, of a fight. Because Paul says that we're knocked down, but we're not knocked out. Paul's taking a bit of a beating, and it's hard. And life on earth is hard, and we don't want to hide behind that. And Jesus certainly never did. And as Desmond said before he read to us this morning, Jesus didn't promise that life would be easy. Famously in John 16, he said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And famously in Matthew 16, he told his disciples, as Desmond said, if you want to take up your cross, uh, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. Deny yourself. Anyone that loses his life for my sake will find it. We have to be prepared to go on that difficult journey as we follow Jesus. And Paul doesn't sugarcoat it here. Look at those verses. Uh, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. These are words and emotions we can all relate to at times. Our persecuted family certainly can. And that's why I want to introduce you to them today. If you've never experienced the persecuted church or never considered it, I want to introduce you to your family because they are well placed to guide us, to hold our hand, to mentor us through our own hard times. And so at the end of this uh, talk, I want to show you how you can connect with them, receive updates, receive family newsletters to tell you what's going on so that you can be inspired and so that you can pray and stand alongside them. But there must have been times where Paul felt like he can't go on, like he'd had enough, where the, the church in Corinth was struggling to keep going. Maybe you feel that too. But I want to tell you today that our persecuted family pray for you to keep going, to stand strong. Poe, who we heard about, said this, My prayers for all those who are in the same situations as me is that they will stand strong in their faith. So look at that repetition of but nots in our passage today. We are... Uh, We are struck down, but not crushed, but not despairing, but not abandoned, but not destroyed. Hold on today and stand strong. Here's our second reason for hope. Resurrection power is on display. Why was Paul able to be so resilient? Well, for Paul, it really was that classic Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. It really was all about Jesus, that that what Jesus had done, what Paul had uh, maybe witnessed or or, or he'd experienced in his own life that had happened just a few years previously, it was everything for Paul. The resurrection was everything. It was like this megaphone cranked up to full volume, declaring that God is bigger than death, bigger than suffering, that the empty grave dwarfs all the pain and hardship we'll ever face with the promise that one day every wrong will be made right. We see that in the text, verse 6. He says that the light of Jesus, we didn't read this bit, but it's just before, the light of Jesus dwells in us, makes his home in us, in our bodies, these jars of clay, in our fragility, in our brokenness, Jesus is present. 
And then verse 10 and 11, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. We said it at the beginning, Christ is risen and it's revealed as much in us today as our brokenness is brought to life, as darkness comes to light and is revealed in us. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. And Paul was writing this in the context of persecution, in the context of being a minority, that he and his listeners knew that they were being given over to death, but it was okay because Jesus was going to bring them to life again and be revealed in, in their lives. He knew this attachment with Christ. We read in his other letters that he wants to identify with Christ's suffering, be prepared to suffer for him. And he saw this suffering as a way for others to see Jesus. And it's the way he's, the, the gospel's always worked. That when people have been persecuted as the church has been attacked, that's when it's advanced the most. That the pains of, and chains of the gospel can bring about glory and gains for the kingdom. This is how God works. It's the story of the early church, and it's the story of the church today around the world. Paul lived and believed in the light of the unstoppable power of Jesus, even though outwardly it didn't make any sense. My friend Mujtaba from Iran, which is number nine on the world watch list, knew this as well. Many of us experienced of what it's like to be confined in the last few years. Mujtaba was with me in Northern Ireland in March 2020. You'll know what was happening at that time. Uh, we were just planning some events around the country and um, it was just as we were getting close to the restrictions on uh, mass gatherings coming into place. And in the Republic, they just announced their restrictions, but our events were that weekend and there was nothing coming out here yet. So we went ahead with these meetings and I was so glad we did. And as, as, as a few hundred people in those nights heard this story of restriction and isolation in, in Iran, and as I heard it, as I traveled around with Mujtaba, I had no idea, we had no idea what that lesson would teach us in the years that were to follow for ourselves personally. See, Mujtaba was arrested for leading a secret house church, and he was imprisoned in the infamous Evan prison for over three years. And in that dark place, he saw that God was at work. Even if he didn't see it at first, he said, I had this feeling that if I'm in prison now, it's about my sin, it's about my faults, it's about what I did wrong, and God is punishing me. But one day, God spoke to me, and I felt it strongly. Mujtaba, stop being selfish. If you're in prison now, it's not about you. It's about me. Look around yourself. And he looked around and he saw people that were in need of Jesus, of people that needed to be brought from darkness to light. One of those people was a man called Muhammad. You can probably guess, Muhammad was a Muslim. And uh, as uh, Mujtaba's uh, name got known around the prison for being a Christian, and as, as other prisoners started to come to faith, Muhammad made it his mission to get this man to quit. So he went at him and he, he argued with him and he tried to put down Jesus to say he wasn't who he said he was. And he argued and argued. 
And what I love about much of the book is that he, he knows he's nothing special. He doesn't claim to be. Like we've heard, he was, he was down. He was beating himself up in prison. And so when this man came, he'd just been in solitary confinement for three months. So he'd had enough. He was fed up. And he just wanted this man to go away. So he said to Muhammad, he said, your argument isn't with me. It's with Jesus. So take it up with him yourself. And he said, what do you mean? He said, well, when you go to bed tonight, just cry out, Jesus, if you're there, show yourself. So Muhammad went away. And Mustafa was pleased and relieved, and he went to sleep. And the next morning, Muhammad came back at him. And Mustafa thought, oh, no, here we go again. But as he came closer, he saw his face had completely changed. He was a, a, a glow. And he came and he said, Mustafa, I can't believe it. You won't believe what happened to me. He said, you need to know that I'm on death row. And every time I go to sleep, all I can think about is death, death, death. And I haven't slept a full night in years. Uh, he, he was a gang lord. He was, uh, he'd committed multiple serious crimes and multiple murders. And Muhammad said, but when I went to bed, I did what you said. I cried out the name of Jesus and said, if you're there, speak to me. And I fell asleep like that. I slept all night. And I woke up this morning and all I can think about is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So please, will you tell me about him? This man that was so angry and that was so against Jesus was completely transformed. And much had the privilege of leading him to the Lord, of discipling him for six months until they were separated. And a couple of years later, much asked one of the guards, what happened to my friend Muhammad? And they said he was killed last week. And Mujtaba said that was the most amazing time of his whole stay in prison because he knew that he'd been put there for a reason and that his suffering was worth it. So as we think about resurrection power, we see it in people like Mujtaba where darkness is turned to light, death to life, despair to hope. Mujtaba said this, I never prayed for God to release me from prison. It doesn't matter what situation I'm in. I can work in God's kingdom wherever he places me. It doesn't matter if it's in prison or out of prison because persecution will take the gospel to the places where nothing else will do it. That's resurrection power on display, isn't it? And look at verse 16 for, with me for a moment. Paul says that resurrection power is at work in us daily, shaping us, maturing us. He says, we are being renewed day by day. Notice the present tense. The challenges we face are opportunities to be resurrected daily, where the inner you is more important than the outer you. Spiritual growth and character are more important in God's eyes than our short-term comfort and happiness. This doesn't fit with what the world tells us, but the way of Jesus tells us that hardship and suffering pushes us to persevere and perseverance pushes depth into our lives. It's why Paul wrote these famous words in Romans 5 verse 4, rejoice in suffering. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Here's the third and final reason for hope. The future outweighs the present. Imagine I had some scales with me in these hands, and uh, like the ones on the screen. And then this side, I'm going to place all the things in this world that knock us down, 
that, that strike us that are hard, that, that, that we, we struggle to get back up from. And on this side are all the things that are to come for us in the future as a Christian. This is essentially what Paul does here. And in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28, he actually lists the things that he's been through himself. He was imprisoned frequently. He was flogged. He was beaten with lashes and rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was in constant danger, on the run, hounded out of cities. He was hated and despised. He went without sleep. He was left cold and naked. Paul knew it. He's not writing this from a rosy point of view. He knows it himself. And what would you add to the scales today? COVID-19, cancer, broken relationships, grief, depression, anxiety, doubt. All that takes us down is here. But Paul says the scales are tipped towards the future because the best is yet to come. Life on earth is hard, as we've said, it's difficult. And Paul knew this, but he says in verse 16 to 17, therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You might say, Paul, are you crazy? Look at all that stuff. It's not light. It's heavy. It's hard. But Paul knew it. And he says it's literally like fluff compared to what we have in Christ. Sop lives in a village tucked between jagged mountains and paddy fields in the northernmost part of Laos. It's number 26 on the world watch list. Growing up, Sop knew only Buddhism, until he stumbled across an old man listening to a Thai Christian radio station. He heard about Jesus and he became a Christian and straight away the village chief heard about Sop's newfound faith. He says, if you don't stop worshipping your God, go to jail or leave the village. His pigs were, sorry, Sop refused. He didn't do it. He carried on following Jesus. His pigs were poisoned. His rice farm was set on fire. His children were discriminated against in school. And finally, Sop and his family were kicked out of the village. And with all that he went through, Sop refused to stop sharing the gospel. And he even began to host worship gatherings in his home. Through open door support, he received training to teach others to read and write, even those people in the village that discriminated against him. And Sop said this, I am always reminded that if people try to kill me for my faith, the Bible says not to be afraid. They can kill my body, but not my soul. If they want to kill me, I have no problem with it, for I know where I'm going after. Life for the Christian is not about the here and now. It's about what's yet to come. We live in this tension where life is hard, and our persecuted family know this, that when life gets them down and all they have left is Jesus, they have everything they need. They fix their eyes on what is unseen. Because if they focused on all that they have in this side, they would have no hope. They would have nothing of value. But they do have everything they need in Christ. And this is a challenge for us here in our comfort-driven lifestyles. What do we put our focus on? Where do we place our trust? Where do we put our hope? So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. 
fix your gaze on the future. Look up and hold on. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I pray today that these stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters will give you hope and that you'll be encouraged by their stories to, to live boldly and courageously yourself, wherever that looks, wherever that calls you. At the beginning, I told you about Po from Vietnam. Thanks to support from people like you, we've been able to stand with Po. He now knows why his family persecuted him, and his prayers are that they one day will turn to Jesus. And thanks to your support, we've been able to uh, buy land uh, with his church and to build a new home for Po. And Poe says this, I'm thankful for this house. It gave us a home we can call our own, where we can continue to follow Christ, where we can pray and read, our Bible to our read the Bible to our children. I praise God for his continued protection over my family and me. Thank you to everyone who has helped me and my family. I'm very thankful for the supporters who continue to remember me and my family in their prayers. I pray for blessings from God above you, for you and your families. They're so thankful for your support. Please, if you've never uh, stood with them in the, pa in, in, in the past and you'd like to find out how you can do that again, I'll be out in the foyer there. There's um, a code on the screen you can use to scan if you like to do that kind of thing. It'll take you to a page on our website where you can sign up to receive updates and emails and prayer diaries to help you do that, to stand with them. I also have some forms out there in the foyer where you can do that manually. And if you do that today and you'd like to uh, sign up to receive those emails, I can uh, get you one of these books sent out. It's the story of a God smuggler, um, Brother Andrew, who started this ministry, who knew what it was like to follow Jesus in the most dangerous places around the world. I'd love to give you a copy. But just to wrap up, I would like to pray for us. Let's pray. We remember all those who suffer for following you, Jesus. The widows and the orphans, the grieving and the lost, those in prison, those in exile, those who are broken and beaten, those who are wounded and weary, those who do not count the cost, but risk everything to proclaim the light and life of the kingdom of God in places of darkness and death. Be with them today, we pray. Lord God, grant us, your followers, the fire of your presence to guide our footsteps, ward off our enemies, lighten our darkness, and ignite our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.